I'm Alon Ben-Mir, and welcome to another episode of On the Issues. My guest today is Michelle Dunn, the Director and Senior Fellow in the Carnegie Endowment for Peace's Middle East Program. You can find Michelle's full bio on the page for this episode. So this is not a question and answer, just like a conversation just like we're having. Okay. That's basically it, so you don't have to... Just, I wanted just to hear really your take. Okay. You know, given that you have a um, certain extent of experience in Egypt, what what do you see this going in the wake of the Arab Spring? We thought in the wake of the Arab Spring things going to be somewhat different. Uh, initial in the first few months until Morsi was elected uh, was more was more promising. But things, you know, with the with the advent, with the rise of ICC to power, things began to deteriorate again. What happened, or as as you see it? Well, as I see it, uh, alone, look, Egypt had a very brief political opening after the fall of Mubarak, right? So, to me, what happened in twenty eleven was. Uh, you had a massive, unexpected popular uprising that turned against Mubarak, and um, the Egyptian military ultimately decided to side with the demonstrators against Mubarak and removed Mubarak from power. But then as soon as Mubarak was removed from power, the military started taking actions to try to limit the amount of change that would happen inside of Egypt. Um, you know, in some ways, it was it was almost over before it started, right? You yeah. had Mubarak, the uprising happened in January. Mubarak is removed in February. In March, the military, which took control after Mubarak, rushed through a set of constitutional amendments that really um, set up a, a very limited, Transition. I mean, they were talking the talk of yes, this is going to be democracy and so forth. But I really, I think they were, they were taking actions right from the very beginning to limit it. And one of the actions they took, and I think this is tragic, is that the military leadership decided to cooperate with the Muslim Brotherhood against the other political forces um, in Egypt, um, because I think they thought that the Brotherhood was a venerable old political movement, and they believed, and they were right about this, that the Brotherhood would cooperate with the military to limit the amount of political change and transformation, right? That it wouldn't be a real revolution. It would just be something much more limited. So that happened, and then, you know, the whole electoral schedule and everything was set up to the Brotherhood's liking, and the Brotherhood reaped the benefits by, indeed, you know, not surprisingly, the biggest, oldest opposition movement in the country, yeah, but, one big in the that's elections. Right, that's right. I mean, they did not allow really the rise of any secular parties to be able to compete effectively, to share any kind of agenda with the public. The election, in right. my view, took too, was too fast. Very quickly. And very, before very quickly. there was any, yeah. even any... Um, agreement on, right. on rewriting the Constitution, right. on that kind of thing, is very unlike, for example, Tunisia's transition, which, while far from perfect, was a lot more successful than Egypt's. In, in, in Tunisia, there was no military to, to come in and to kind of 
um, dictate how things were going to happen. And instead, there was a pr fairly prolonged process, kind of a roundtable process of all the different political and social forces in the country brokering a transition. And they elected transitional bodies, short-term bodies that would just, yes, yes, you yeah. know, until they would rewrite the Constitution, right. until they would hold elections for more uh, more permanent bodies. That's not what happened in Egypt. So in Egypt, you had this very yeah. chaotic, rapid uh, thing. And then... Um, Anyway, and the and the you know the Brotherhood won a majority in Parliament, and then the presidency. Uh, but then immediately, I think the military also saw that the Brotherhood had been too successful, and they started acting against them. They, yeah. you know, yeah. the the Parliament that was dissolved, and and it was very chaotic. I think it's important to remember how short it was. It was a very short time. It was from February 2011, and the whole thing was over by the end of June 2013. Yeah, so barely I mean, yeah. more than two years. Right. Yeah. And then you have a military coup removing um, the Brotherhood president mm -hmm. and uh, really a full return of authoritarianism. You know, CC, the defense minister at the time who, who took power, briefly made promises about restoring democracy. But it was clear from the very beginning, I think, that he didn't mean that. And yeah. that the democratic transition... As such as it was, was over. Um, and so Egypt has moved since 2013 into a new period of authoritarianism. Uh, it shares some characteristics with the 30-year period of authoritarianism under Hosni Mubarak, but in other ways, it's much more harsh. It is harsh. You know, going back to Tunisia, I think it's a, it's a, it's a very good example. You see, Tunisia... Of course, been also far more influenced by by the West, proximity, experience, and all of that. Even when the Nahda party came to power, which is a religious party, and it did not work, where they agreed to sit down and share. Unlike what's happening in Egypt, is the Muslim Brotherhood had to be ousted altogether. My understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding that given the military in Egypt. Is, is more than just a military, it's an industry. <laughs> yes. they, ha they, they hold nearly 25% of the, of the commerce, the export, the import. I don't, know. I don't know if that percentage is correct, but it's a tremendous amount. Substantial. Extensive I, I, and growing, by the way. And growing. Economic interests that have grown significantly uh, yeah, since CC took power. Yeah, they, I mean, they can finance basically themselves to, to they some, do. Some extent, and they yeah, sometimes yeah. lend money to the country. And what Morsi, what I mean, yeah, 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 isn't that amazing? Uh, I, I say it sometimes. You have four branches of government in Egypt. You've got the, you know, you've got the judicial, the legislative, the executive, and the military. And the military, which is separate from the executive branch. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So what my understanding is that Morsi, knowing what he knows about the military, tried to say, well, a minute. We cannot have four branches, so to speak. The military cannot have that kind of leverage. No, I, you know what, Alana? Was, think was that the scenario that, no. was, uh, that was floating no, you, around? No, you know what? I, I think that the Brotherhood was far more cautious than that. Um, I think they had a deal 
with the military. They understood that the military, the Supreme Council of the Armed Forces, had helped them to come to power by early, you know, I'm not saying that they, I mean, I think the elections that were held were free and fair elections. I'm not saying that the military skewed the elections. I'm saying that the military set up the electoral system and the electoral calendar and all of that to the Brotherhood's liking, and they made it easy for them to come to power because they thought, the military thought the Brotherhood would be conservative. And they the Brotherhood understood what they owed to the military. So they really did not challenge the military's power or their um, or their economic dominance. I think they they weren't that foolish. They didn't they didn't uh, now if they had stayed in power for a long time, might they have eventually done that? Maybe. But they, they didn't do it in the very short one year that Morsi was in power. That My understanding, they the were leaning. I mean, the military against. was getting sort of uh, all kind of signs that the more that the eventually the Muslim Brotherhood cannot be contained. I what I, here's what I think happened. First of all, look, the Brotherhood. You know, Morsi's year in power could almost be divided into two halves. Right, the first half, the first six months was a bit of a honeymoon five, six months, right? He comes in in June, and up until the middle of November, um, you know, there was a was a bit of a, a bit of a honeymoon, and, and Morsi was seen as doing a lot of things right, including helping to broker a peace agreement in Gaza between mm-hmm. Israel and yes, Hamas, right. and right. a number of other things that he was doing, and he was, I don't know, he was maybe... But then he was becoming increasingly... Uh, impatient with, you know, wanting to move forward with uh, another set of amendments to the Constitution and getting a lot of pushback from secular forces. And then Morsi took what I think was a disastrous step in November of putting out a constitutional declaration, basically putting putting himself above the law. And he did this specifically in order to to, to get the constitutional amendment process rolling. And he viewed this as essential to the success but what, of his wasn't presidency. Wasn't this perhaps a trigger as far as the military is concerned? So what this did was uh, taking this step of this constitutional declaration uh, ended the honeymoon and started to make Morsi very unpopular with the, the public, the non-Brotherhood supporting public, right? And uh, so he started becoming increasingly unpopular. And in the months, and then protests against him and his government started growing. So I think what happened was, as we get now into early 2013, January, February, um, CC and the military leadership the start to see. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. They start yeah, to they, see yeah. that, ah, yeah. Morsi's now failing. Right. Morsi's becoming extremely unpopular. And we think we see a way to end this whole messy yeah. democratic yeah. thing. And we're going to, yeah. you know, people will be so grateful to get, get rid of the brotherhood that they maybe won't mind that they lose the whole promise of building a democracy along with losing the brotherhood. And they came and in, in I mean, they in the millions went into the street when he called upon them. I don't think it was millions, but uh, well, it, it was probably it's a, it's hundreds huge. of thousands. It was but a huge. It, it I mean, was huge. Uh, was along large. the line, what happened in Tahrir Square, uh, basically. Right. It was and very, so, very large, and the military, you, you know, definitely encouraged that. And, you know, I have a friend who... 
was a, a secular um, member of the parliament. And um, as he saw all this, you know, opposition building to Morsi and everything like that, well, he, he was very critical of Morsi and very critical of what the Brotherhood had done. And, um, you know, one of the voices speaking out. And um, when there was a call for a big demonstration on June 30th, 2013, he, like the other, you know, hundreds of thousands, went out. He said, I went out. I was walking through Cairo, I was heading for Tahrir with all these people. And then I looked up in the sky and saw the military jets flying over with like, you know, I don't know, colors and, you know, all kinds. And he said, I realized right then what was happening, mm -hmm. that this yeah. was going to be a military coup. And I turned around and went home. But, you know, I, I think that's that's what happened, right? I mean, it, clearly, if you if you watched <laughs> what happened on June 30th in the ensuing days, it was very unlike what happened in Tahrir in the sense that it was much more orchestrated and encouraged by the military than what had happened earlier on. I'm not saying that the opposition to Morsi was genuine, right? I'm not saying it wasn't genuine, but I, what I'm saying is I think that the military leadership and Sisi in particular as defense minister really, you know, took advantage of that sentiment. You know, people went to... Tahrir and other places in Egypt on June 30th, asking for early presidential elections. Okay, Morsi had a four-year term, which was a mistake, by the way. They never should have elected, without having a new constitution in place, elected a president for a full term. But whatever, that's what they did. Morsi had been in, in office one year. And what the demonstrators went out asking for is, we want a referendum on the Morsi presidency. We want a new election in which we get to vote, you know, whether we keep Morsi or we, you know, whatever, somehow get him out of office. And But that's not what they got. No, no. I mean, of that's course. That's not what happened. That's right. I mean, there was also no foundation to build a democracy on. I mean, this is really, I think it, is, it was then and it's still today. How do you, how do you um, have a democratic form of government when you don't have the institution? Well, Egypt but, had a lot of institutions. Yeah, but, but Egypt no, had a venerable not, judiciary. But not enough to, he had a to long support parliamentary to support uh, full fledged for democratic system. You know what, Alan? I'm not I sure. think this is one of those questions about like which came first, the chicken and the egg. You know, do you, can can you have democratic, um, say, political procedures without a culture of democracy? On the other hand, how can you build a culture of democracy? If you don't have the practices of democracy, but then, these things uh, go hand in yeah, hand. Yeah, but at the time when I looked at it, and I was writing about it, I was suggesting, I was saying that not that anybody cared what I had to say then, <laughs> that they needed transitional period, transitional period before rushing into these elections. Like yeah, I mean, they, look, the question um, is, but there was no transitional period to prepare for anything. Well, you know, and they didn't. Nobody allowed them to have a transitional period. Let me point out some other big differences between Egypt and Tunisia, okay? In Tunisia, civilians were left to figure this out by themselves. Yeah. They did not have... Tunisia had been a police state, not a military state. And they did not have a military institution that was, um, you know, seeking to control and dominate and to whom different parties who were, 
you know, rivals with each other could turn to try to get support. The, the, the civilians, as you mentioned, the different political forces, the civil society forces, the labor union, all those other, they had to figure it out. The other thing they did not have in Tunisia was external intervention. Hmm. In Egypt, you had external parties uh, warring with each other to try to control what was going to happen mm-hmm. in Egypt. While Morsi was in power, you had uh, Turkey and Qatar supporting him strongly, and the Qataris in particular bringing in a lot of money and everything That's to help right. them. That's right. But then you had the Saudis and the Emiratis oh, against, against the Brotherhood, against them, exactly. and they, they funded the coup, and mm-hmm. they gave they gave CC 20 billion dollars that's a b mm-hmm. billion dollars yeah, yeah. <laughs> um to help him retain control in, in the first year after the coup before he even became president that's massive external intervention economically based external and and diplomatic and they went to bat for cc diplomatically you know around the world and so forth this didn't happen in tunisia and uh, you'll hear about a little bit about the Qataris or the Emiratis trying to have some influence, but they none of them considered Tunisia that important. No, so much smaller. And therefore, Tunisia almost benefited from being a bit of a backwater. And people left them out to work things out on their own. That wasn't true with Egypt. The problem, what 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 we see today now, why why actually Sisi is pursuing this this kind of approach? Why is he assuming? Why he has become as ruthless as he is today? When there was really no significant opposition to him all along. You cannot say there was any kind of demonstration against the government. There was no resistance of any no, no, there significant. Was. No, but there nothing was. significant enough for him to take to, to choose this route. Look, um I mean there was significant after Morsi was removed. There was significant brotherhood resistance. Brotherhood, right? Brotherhood, yes. brotherhood resistance. That's different because That's different. they they and that was always going to happen. I remember, you know, I remember I was on actually on a media interview with with someone else who was Egyptian on July third when they had the coup and they removed Morsi, and I said, I think there's going to be violence, and he said, Oh no, what makes you think that? I think everything's going to be fine, and I was like, Well, look, whenever you have uh, a a political movement like the Brotherhood that waited a long, long time to get into power, and they finally got their guy elected, or one of their guys elected as president of the country, and then that, you know, result is overturned by a military coup. I think they're, I think they're going to resist. I don't think they're going to accept that easily. So there was resistance, and there was, of course, the big thing that happened, and I think this says a lot about. Uh, Sisi is this these big sit-ins in Rabat Square and uh, Nahta Square, and um, that were you know ongoing protests against the removal of Morsi, and um, you know Sisi decided to do what I think had previously been thought unthinkable in Egypt, just to roll in there and massacre people, and they did that. They killed a thousand people in a day. A bigger massacre than took place at Tiananmen Square, mm-hmm. um, which was a real shock. 
Um, and there have been many shocks since then. The, the level of brutality that CC has been willing to use, something on the order of 60,000 political prisoners, um, and, and lots of methods that are far more brutal than, than Mubarak ever used. So you ask, why is CC doing this? Um, first of all, I would say that if, if you're a person who has participated in, in military coups and who has presided over mass killings, you need to be worried, <laughs> you know, about, about, um, about your safety and about whether or not you yourself will remain in power. So I think a lot of what CC does is driven by that. He takes you know, extreme measures to but don't keep you think, I mean, as, 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 you know, the military is with, with him, um, you know, I'm, I'm 100% he's supported, he's supported by the military. What makes you say that? Well, based on what I hear, what I see, what I read, what I... We're aware, though, that know, three, no, no fewer than three military officers, two of them senior, tried to run against him for president. They ran against him for president, year. but after he was elected, he was not threatened by any by any um, segment of the military. Not running against him is no. one thing. Yeah. And and No, and no, no, but running but at wanting to run against him was a serious challenge to him. It, these were these were not like per, these were serious opponents. But these were did, not like permitted, you know, but just did a he, show of did competition. He really, and and he did not go any and he took any purge purge against the military? <laughs> yes, he did. But to he, what extent wasn't really that significant. There have been a number of um, reported. I mean, unlike say Erdogan, what Erdogan is. Okay, well, I, I mean, mean, so so Sisi has limited. not had an attempted coup. I'm sure okay. he would, you know, he would probably might very well respond the way Erdogan did to an actual. I mean, Erdogan had an actual attempted coup against him, and I'm not justifying what Erdogan has done, by the way, but Sisi has not had an actual attempted coup yet. There have been attempted assassinations that have been reported that have led to purges, um, and he's he's been, uh, he apparently was quite upset by the fact that, you know, uh, a number of people wanted to run against him for the presidency, including some former senior military people, and... Um, you know, there have been um, other purges that, that have taken place because of that. So while I think you're right in the main, you know, in the main we see the military standing behind Sisi, and he's certainly doing a lot of things like extending their economic reach and everything to keep well, their support. His backbone, yes. But, um, you know, he, he there's another, Sisi now is... is um, going to try to have the constitution amended to keep himself in power beyond a second term and i think that's it's a test you know we'll we'll see whether people are are willing to do that it was very interesting throughout the whole time cc's been in power many of his supporters would say publicly many times and even he said oh it's just 8 years maximum we're not going back yeah, to a president yeah, for life saying, like yeah, we used to yeah. have things have changed yeah. you know and Etc. He's subject to the will of the people, and he can't stay more than eight years. And now that's not going to be true. And we'll see whether people are willing to accept that or not, including people within yeah. the military. And in, in your testimony, you recommend a number of steps for the for the United States to take. Uh, you know, for example, um, so, uh, certainly human right to be linked uh, to to how to to 
the distribution of funds, how to deal with the military. Have you, did, did you get any kind of, uh, have you seen any change in American approach so far? Because I haven't. Well, I mean, there has been a change in the American approach, but it's not its not related to my testimony. The change no, no, has I, been I know. with Secretary Pompeo coming into office, and he's, he's doing a few things differently. In fact, he's released I'm saying some along of the, the line of what that, you're talking about. Yeah. I'm not saying necessarily because they, uh, they should listen to you, but, not the, but I'm saying along the line of what you suggested, which makes a lot of sense. Look, Do you see a movement the, in that I, direction? I think that there is growing concern, and I see it particularly in the U.S. Congress, about the course that Sisi has Egypt on, right? Is this a course that will really lead to stability in the country? And there, there, there's definitely concern that the degree of human rights abuses um, is, is such that it can actually lead to instability. There's a lot of concern that Egyptian prisons are becoming radicalization factories. The huge number of young men uh, undergoing very bad treatment and uh, torture and denial of medical treatment and a, a lot of very bad conditions, plus being exposed in prison to people from extremist groups who are recruiting them. So this is a major concern that while Egypt says, oh, we're an ally against terrorism, let's fight together, or whatever, that um, you know, while, while the Egyptian military does fight terrorism, you know, in, in certain ways in the Sinai, at the same time, other practices, in particular, this re very broad repression and the fact that there are no channels now for even peaceful expression of dissent, of dissent. Mm -hmm. formal right. politics, yeah. all but dead. There's media has been closed down. Civil society has been closed down. The human rights groups are, are being hounded out of existence, that this is an unhealthy situation that actually pushes people toward violent solutions rather than than nonviolent channels. So there's concern about that um, and that some of the methods being used in Sinai in particular are so brutal and so um, in the form of collective punishment that they actually lead to radicalization of the population there. So that's one set of concerns. Another set of concerns, I think, is about the economy and that even though CC has taken a lot of austerity measures that the IMF and the international yeah, community yeah. applauds mm -hmm. at the same time the level of military government reach in the economy and specifically military reach in the economy is such that it's preventing real economic growth from taking place and they're just mm. not generating jobs at anything near the rate that they need to, to keep pace with a rapidly mm -hmm. growing population That's right. That's and so right. there's concern that the economic um, you know, situation is not not going to improve the way it would need to improve to foster stability. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, some elements here. Yeah, we talk to, you know, they find comfort in the fact that um, Egypt is maintaining the peace with Israel. Egypt is is, a, is an anchor for some stability in the region, other than the, aside the internal turmoil that's taken with it. But you know, talking about human gross human right abuses taking place. And the, they, they, they feel that the fact that Egypt and Israel and it's sort of creating that, you know, maintaining the peace, creating some kind of stability of the region, trump what uh, yeah. the, the shortcomings. Yeah. Well, uh, look, I mean, 
that is a, you know, it's a positive aspect. And that's been true since 1979. Yeah, yeah, it's been always right? the case. That's yeah. always been the case. That's not something new with But it seems to me every administration, I mean, the fact that I'm not pushing the direction you would like to see happen, I would like to see happen, is because they feel that there was never the right time. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you know, but actually, there, if you look over time, there's a big change, and this is mostly driven by the Congress. Um, aid to Egypt is now much lower than it used to be. Um, sadly, most of that was taken away in economic aid, which now is tiny to Egypt. And um, military aid is subject to increased conditions, right? So Congress has been slowly increasing the amount of military aid that is subject to human rights conditions and like so for example for fiscal year 18 instead of 15 percent it's now like 23 percent of the aid that's subject to human rights conditions and yeah. they keep tightening the restrictions they are a little bit you know yeah. and making it harder for the administration to get out of these restrictions yeah. that's from from the congressional side so uh, over time you know i remember alone there were many years back in the 90s back in the 2000s when military aid to egypt was sacred it could not be touched oh, i know it's been it could not be conditioned yes yeah absolutely yeah. not yeah, yeah and they but now it is and yeah. now it's it's on the table you know it's on the yeah. table for discussion and it's openly discussed in fact for fiscal year 19 this is still unresolved the senate proposed a significant cut in military yeah. aid to Egypt. Yeah, I was I was advocating that they cut it by say, a hundred million, two hundred million dollars, and devote that to sustainable development project. If they need to create more jobs, more opportunities, more right. There, there are uh, certain there are a number happening. of things. Yeah. One of them would be um, education. Education. You know, that's a crying need. That's Another one exactly. is water. Egypt is has a looming water crisis. Water, and um, improving water infrastructure, particularly in agriculture and things like that, yeah. is something that Egypt could use a lot more than a few more F-16s and tanks and so That's forth. Right. And against whom? They right. really, well, I mean, well, you know, it's, it's, I mean, other reasons, so, you know, the terrorism and all of that, uh, Egypt does not have today an enemy. Right. They're not planning to fight a conventional war. But you know why they want those things. Of course they want, because that gives them the status they want. Exactly. Because unfortunately, you know, we still have these, all these defense indexes that rank militaries around the world. And they rank them on these beam counting, you know, well, how many of this do you have? How many of that do you have? And we assess (laughs) the power of your military. It's so outdated and unrealistic. It's it's, uh, it's terrible. It's important for Egypt to still be high in those rankings. I'm going to stop here because you need to go. And uh, so I don't want to disrupt you. Uh, thank you so much. You're welcome. I would have loved to continue this maybe for some other time. Some other time I enjoyed Let's the conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. You're Pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page. And stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.